Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Mark Rako. Recently on another Mouth Media Network podcast, Retail Is Your Business, we had a, a great guest on, Riley Stevens, who had some really useful perspectives on the retail industry uh, and trends and uh, things to think about. These insights were valuable, and we thought that we should share them here with you, our Fashion Is Your Business audience as well. So enjoy this episode of Retail Is Your Business, which I think you'll find helpful. But don't worry, we'll have all new episodes of Fashion Is Your Business with me and Pavan very soon. Have a great day. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Riley Stevens, Director of Insights at Retail Profit. And what I love about retail is this notion that life is not built around retail. Retail is really built around our life, and it's a reflection of the way that we live. Uh, I recently spoke to Ian Rogers, who's the former Chief Digital Officer of LVMH, and he said something that I found really interesting. He said, you know, we started with the printing press and now we have TikTok. And something that he's really interested in is understanding how we got from there to where we are today. And that's one of the most exciting things that I see in retail is really this connective tissue from the evolution of where we started and where we are today and how that really reflects our day-to-day lives. From New York City, you're listening to Retail Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition, another issue, another episode of Retail Is Your Business. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and I'm so happy you're here with me. You know who else I'm happy is here with us? It's Rebecca Fitz. Hello, Mark. Happy to be here. Yes, I'm happy you're here too, Rebecca. Hey, hey, Rebecca, what's the last thing? I'm going to put you on the spot out of the blue here. What's the last thing you bought that made you smile? Oh, um, does it have to be in a physical store or could it be online? I, I can be anywhere. Okay. This is, 20, um, this is 2021, my friend. It's a, It can be online for sure. Oh, God, shopping confessions, here they come. Um, So I'm trying to promote myself getting up in the morning like I'm actually going out the door to an office and wearing makeup and doing things that I would do. So I bought, this is kind of interesting and and definitely applicable to this conversation I think we're about to have. Um, Gucci Westerman has a a makeup line. She's a makeup artist. um, And I think normally she does it for other brands or she sells through stores. She's now going direct to consumer on her site. Instagram got me once again. And I saw her product and I thought, hey, some of that might, you know, be a nice pick me up for my um, new new COVID pandemic routine of getting up and getting dressed and putting makeup on. So that is the last thing I shopped for. That's great. I, I've not put any makeup on. <laughs> Although, from what I understand, a lot of executives out there, male executives, do do wear makeup these days. It's more and more common. 
uh, to be camera ready, if nothing else. Uh, so uh, maybe maybe my patterns need to change. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you for that, Rebecca Fitz. Uh, let's welcome to the stage, shall we? Well, I guess it's not a stage. It's a microphone. Welcome to the microphone, Riley Stevens. Riley, I have been so excited for this conversation. I'm really glad you're here all the way from Toronto, Canada. Uh, although with being 2021, I guess all the way from Toronto, Canada doesn't seem that impressive anymore, but still from another country, everybody, Riley Stevens, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Let's just give some perspective. I will say, usually we don't talk about this in the beginning. We let the conversation kind of unfold organically, but I think it's relevant to mention who Riley is. As she mentioned, she's the director of insights and speaker for retail profit which is an advisor to some of the world's most respected brands in the uh, exploration of uh, an imagination and articulation of cutting-edge consumer marketing strategies. But before she joined Retail Profit, uh, where she, by the way, works with her dad. Uh, <laughs> and who is your dad, Riley? Doug Stevens. He's uh, formerly and, and widely known as the Retail Profit, although we just That's prefer right. Retail Profit as uh, the consultancy. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. So we got that out of the way. There's that context. But uh, let's talk about Riley for a second. Before joining Retail Profit, Riley worked at both Sidley and Vice Media, was integral in the ideation and launch of national campaigns for little companies you've heard of like Coca-Cola, General Mills, Ford, Google, Lululemon. She's a media expert for the CBC and Bloomberg business, has spoken for Salesforce, Canada Post, Aldo, and more. And uh, so, you know, thought maybe she could make a little stop by retail as your business and we can have a chat. So anyway, Riley, we're so happy to have you here and excited to talk about everything that's going on. And maybe we could start with this question. What do you think is going on? Well, we could take probably the entire time that we have for this podcast to just talk about what the heck is going on in retail yeah. right now. I mean... I've been, as you mentioned, in the retail industry. Um, I mean, I've been sort of on the periphery of the retail industry, but really and truly working um, hand in hand with retailers and brands for the last four years now, um, specifically with Retail Profit. And it's been the most exciting and interesting time to work in retail. Um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to work with retailers because really and truly the last year, as everyone knows, has been um, it's been crazy. It's been, it's been overwhelming. It's been, um, uncertain. It's been scary, but I do strongly feel that now we're coming out, the fog is lifting and the retail industry as a whole is starting to get really, um, inspired and aggressive again about their goals for what's to come. So in terms of where we're at right now, I mean, you ask what's happening. Okay. Well, what we know <laughs> is, <laughs> I mean, let's, let's get this started. What we know is that obviously we've seen a, um, a massive surge in e-commerce. Um, we, you know, Rebecca, you talk about buying your makeup online and being, you know, targeted by those Instagram ads, which I think everyone safe to say during the pandemic has found themselves making orders online for things that maybe they don't need, but you're home and things seem nice and shiny and you want the, that next thing. Um, so Rebecca, you're not alone in that. Um, we've seen a massive uptick in, <laughs> in e-commerce, um, you know, upwards of, I believe, 45% in the U.S. last year. So it's not insignificant um, by a long shot. 
Alternatively, I mean, we've been in a series of lockdowns and quarantines, and it's been really, really hard on physical retail. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of devastation as a result, not only on a human level, but as organizations have had to file for bankruptcy, um, do mass layoffs. I mean, everyone knows at this point in time, it's been it's been really tragic for a lot of, of retailers. But as I said, the shifts that are taking place now are really indicative of what's to come. And what's to come is very exciting. Um, we're seeing, you know, as I mentioned, huge uptick in, in e-commerce, particularly in certain categories like household goods, grocery, personal care items. Um, and we'll continue to see that. I, I, I believe that some people are skeptical that when stores reopen, it will shift back to a, a nice balance of e-commerce and physical retail. I tend to disagree with those people. I, I do think that we are going to find people increasingly shopping online, um, particularly in those categories, again, just because it's not really things that are exciting to shop for in store. You know, I don't like buying my garbage bags at the grocery store or, you know, at the corner store. I like to do that online now. Um, and that will continue on. So we find ourselves really at what we say at Retail Profit, crossing over from the industrial era into this new digital era that we believe will truly transform the way that people shop for years to come. Would you say that given what you, you just said, one of the most important things that brands can do is build a strong and short bridge between their physical retail and their e-commerce so that it becomes as seamless for the consumer as possible? And because I think a lot of brands scrambled to build a bridge where there wasn't one and now they have to go back and look at what that bridge looks like what that experience is like how long is that bridge how much friction is there and and where does it present opportunities instead of obstacles 100 percent, and it's really interesting because you you talk about this scrambling to create the bridge and we found that a lot of retailers were forced to do that and Obviously, it was out of necessity. But interestingly enough, you know, we talk about a lot in retail, the winners and losers of the pandemic. So there's been no doubt those big winners that you always hear about Amazon, Walmart, Target, to name a few. And it's because they already had that infrastructure in place so that when the pandemic hit, they were already the default. They had fast, free shipping. It was super seamless, super convenient. And so people gravitated towards that. With that being said, though, an interesting thing that some people don't know is that Amazon last year actually lost a little bit of market share. Um, they owned prior to the pandemic about 50% or were on track to own 50% of the e-commerce market. And then at the end, towards the end of 2020, they actually went down to about 38% of the e-commerce market. And the reason was because people were actually forced to innovate throughout that time. So companies like Walmart really amped up their e-commerce strategy, and they actually took back some of the market. Not to mention, I think there was a huge emphasis on shopping local and supporting local business. So all of that sort of equated to this really interesting turning point where people thought, um, you know, people were finally forced to innovate and to create these bridges, whether or not they were perfect or less than ideal, um, they still created them. And it actually, it actually made a dent. It made a dent on the e-commerce market and it took back some market share. So again, um, some, something to actually, I, I believe I take that as a promising sign of what's to come for right. many of these retailers. You know, I'm, I live in the physical space. Um, I'm sure that, um, the retail profit has thought about this or looked at this, how much vacancy there is out there because there are, there is a winner and a loser circle and kind of how will that either come back? And I, all three of us on this call know we're a country that is 
way, way, way over retailed. Um, and I might say the same thing about Canada, but I don't want to overstep my bounds. I'm not sure actually about that. Um, and kind of how that will um, reshuffle itself. 100%. It's interesting that you say that too, because it's so true. I mean, we've seen now in the last little bit, the last couple of years, Amazon now in talks with malls to actually buy that physical property to turn it into warehouse and distribution centers. What a sign of the times, right? You've got this massive e-commerce conglomerate giant coming in and then scooping up physical space, not to create storefronts, but to actually just facilitate the the sheer volume of sales happening through e-commerce. So, and you know, there's other examples of that too. I should note like Alderwood Mall in Seattle, they've turned now into housing. You see all of these different transformations Transformations taking place that are really a sign of the times. And I mean, I really think at, at the end of the day, what this is really significant um, and, and signifying is this shift between the online and offline world. So um, we at Retail Profit have been talking for years actually about this shift between the purpose of an online uh, presence and a physical store. So Historically, you would go into a store to get product information, speak to an associate, touch and feel products, get the specs, see what you like, check out the colors, and then you would ultimately be, you'd have to go into a store to make a purchase. Well, now we find ourselves increasingly becoming far more comfortable with shopping online. And we've actually recognized that in some cases, it's easier to get product information online. It's faster, more convenient, and in some cases also cheaper. So where does that leave physical retail then? And Rebecca, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this as well with your experience in physical retail. But what we believe is that the role of physical retail is changing. Essentially, the store is now media in all of its forms and media is now the store. So we talk about Instagram ads and how you can purchase through Instagram ads. That's a perfect example and it's popping up more and more. Now a TikTok that you watch can be the place you go to purchase a product. The Instagram ad, the QR code that you happen to walk by and scan can now become the place, the the portal where you go to buy products. The physical store on the other hand is the single most valuable media opportunity that retailers have at their disposal. And I believe that the pandemic marks the time where that will now become crystal clear to retailers, brands, and consumers alike as they navigate this new space uh, and really have to vie for the attention of their customers in a way that they've potentially never had to, to vie for before. Uh, I'm going to use the O word, which I think people think is outdated, but I, it, there is this interesting thing that everything that's old is new again. So omni-channel now, you know, I think people knew the value of their rent before the pandemic, um, but they really knew it when they might have had to pay it and they weren't operating in their store. And so we're, I, I'm definitely feeling the same thing from, you know, the company that I work at, but also even from other brands that are not on the Leap platform that it's Um, If we have this store space, whether you treat it like media, you're treating it that you're using it in every facet that you can. And so it is it's a marketing tool. It's a shopping tool like it always has been. um, But also you can pick and pack from it. What if you have are closed down again? You can do concierge appointments. You can do curbside. You can um, empower your sales associates to do all kinds of things, even if the the 
the, the store is dark. Um, you know, use your windows, um, all these other things. Use your technology on your, your phone to talk to people as well um, about, hey, we've got new stuff in. It looks like the door, you know, is closed, but we can have five people in at a time come on down. So I think that we used to talk about Omnichannel and, hey, my e-commerce isn't talking to my physical store. It's a new level of omni-channel, um, and it's not all about forcing systems to talk to each other. There's some of that, but it's how you're going to use this retail environment. Um, and, and probably, you know, again, I'm not on the e-com side very often, but it, that's probably happening on the e-com side just as much as it's happening on the physical side. Massively. And I, I, I couldn't agree more with everything you've said. And the term that uh, I think the industry is now awakening to is this concept of unified commerce. So this is like the <laughs> evolution. No, it's true. <laughs> it's true, though. It is. And it I'm is. But use it. <laughs> it sort of encapsulates everything you just said perfectly. And it really is this idea. And it's actually a concept that was made uh, popular by Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba. And in 2016, he coined this term. And it is exactly that. It's the, it's the, way, the word that he uses to describe the system to connect the online and offline worlds. And it's omnichannel, but it's also not omnichannel in the sense that it doesn't really look at the online and offline worlds as being one. It really looks at how all of this is a system that puts the customer at the center. That was the first mistake I think we made on the first round of Omnichannel. We were talking about all these different channels. Um, and the truth is the channels don't necessarily matter. It, it, it's very much like, to me, I just look at what is the purpose of physical interaction versus uh, you know, media as, as a way to purchase product. Um, Nike, I just, I always default to Nike as an example, and it drives some people crazy because I recognize that not every company is Nike and they don't have, you know, potentially Nike budgets or, uh, the teams that Nike has to implement some of this thinking, but every business can learn from Nike. They are experts in this notion of unified commerce. They put the customer at the center of everything that they do. They've become incredible storytellers and they've used their physical retail spaces as articulations of their brand story. So if you walk into the Nike House of Innovation uh, on Fifth Avenue in New York City, it is sensory overload. Every single thing you interact with and engage with is intended to articulate that message through and through. So trial and demo areas, customization studios, the Nike expert studio, where you can actually go and speak to their sales associates that they refer to as athletes because it fits the narrative of their brand um, and actually get customized and personalized product recommendations. And not to mention, it's all powered by the Nike Plus app. And on the Nike Plus app, you actually are able to unlock certain experiences within the store. Like, you know, if I'm rushing home from work in this scenario, I live in New York City, not Toronto, uh, and I want to try something on, I'm able to quickly do so through my app, pop by the store, try some stuff on. If I like it, I can do instant checkout in the store. Um, you know, so it's just the connection of all of these dots that make their customer's life genuinely better um, through their thoughtfulness in terms of looking at their customer's journey, identifying every single moment, micro moment within that journey, and actually just solving the real problems that exist in in physical retail and in digital retail and, and bridging that gap. So they are truly experts in this. And, and yes, I do believe we are going to a model where it's not just a nice to have anymore. It's really what customers are going to be expecting at the end of the day. 
Agreed. And I think Adidas is learning from Nike. I was in Adidas and they said, oh, you should download our app. You won't, they didn't say it this way. You won't need me. You can scan the shoe and it, it will connect to our guy in the back who will bring you your size. And I, amazing. And they were scan having the shoe. Yeah. They were having some issues that day, but I, I had to give this guy, the, the, the sales associate, lots of props. One, they got me to download it right there. I wasn't the, the head shopper for once in my life. Um, and, <laughs> um, and you know, it didn't work perfectly, but I'm sure that they will. Um, and I agree on Nike as well. I first, when I went to use their app, um, I thought, do I have to be a member of the running club? I was probably a little bit of an, no, you don't. You can be anyone. You don't have to be, you know, even an athlete. You might just like Nike um, and, and it'll work for you. So, um, yes, it's it's an incredible time and I don't see it going away. Uh, coming up more with Riley and you'll hear uh, some reflections on drones, digital fashion, user generated content. And are we going to see another Roaring Twenties? That's all coming up next. If you run a brick and mortar store, guess what? You have a problem. Retail storefronts can't drive immediate conversion and you can only have so many shoppers inside safely. Any hours you're closed, you can't make sales there. And if you make a product, your product packaging is static by nature. It can't be continuously updated which limits the consumer experience. The next time your customer might interface with you is probably when they need to buy something else sometime in the future. Even more importantly, retail storefronts and product packages both lack a human connection. Are you able to tell the same stories in your own voice to your customers like you used to in the past? Social distancing, the move to commerce, or you've just grown beyond that opportunity? You need to take a look at StoryDot. Engaging the customer throughout their journey from store to website to product packaging, StoryDot supports a quick, contact-free, physical-to-digital transition, letting you tell your story to the customer and enable them to take action and motivate them to share that story on social media. No matter where that customer is, they can hear the exact story you need them to hear. And that can convert into sales and elevate their experience and turn them into your marketers when they share on social media. And key user data is generated providing more mapping of the relationship with customers. You need to see StoryDot in action and explore how StoryDot can connect the dots between you and customers. So visit www.com story.com that's www.storidot.com okay riley uh before we get too much further i have uh three topics i'd like to throw your way and, and I'd like to see what your response based on everything that you're seeing, whether this is from the gut or whether it's based on real kind of data that you've been you've been sourcing and, and insights that you may have. Uh, the first is uh, drones. Give it, given what drones have been on their own track of development, 
What have you seen, if anything, about whether what the advancement towards e-commerce, the sheltering in place, the change in how willing a certain seg- sector or segment of shoppers to actually go out into the physical shopping world as actively as they used to be, is that going to play into some sort of more rapid advancement in drones and perhaps a deployment sooner than we expected? That's a really interesting question. Um, And I haven't really thought about it in the context of sort of where we're at right now with the pandemic. I mean, no doubt prior to the pandemic, there seemed to be a lot of news. I think in part because when you hear drones and dropping off packages and Amazon, you know, owning the sky, it can sound like a dystopian, uh, futuristic movie or something with a horrible ending. So I think it makes people a little bit uneasy, to be honest, and for good reason. I mean, there's tons of regulation and legislation in place to uh, prevent that from taking place, really. So if I know one thing about Amazon, for instance, who I believe would be the leader in this space, is that they see red tape and they find ways to overcome it. Um, I do believe that we will see an influx in um, really any any tool that will help deliver packages faster to consumers. Um, recently, Amazon made the news for buying uh, 11 jets to be able to faster deliver packages to customers. So no doubt drones would be a part of their thinking and then their of their strategy as it obviously would be a I would assume much cheaper uh, option rather than a big jet um so yeah I mean definitely at this point in time it is an arms race amongst the biggest e-commerce companies in the world to get packages the fastest they can to customers and I have no doubt that drones would play into that in the future thank you all right next uh, digital fashion. Now we already know uh, uh, out in the world now you can have makeup digitally applied on you, at least in an app, at least for fun or or to test drive some some looks. Um, but we've we've had some insights through different interviews that I'm involved with that uh, digital fashion may not be that far away. Uh, the ability to rent an Armani suit that's extremely expensive is very unlikely you would have access to it. But for X dollars, you could rent it for an important digital event. It'll fit you and shape on you and move with you, jewelry, etc. That's something that's already being uh, right around the corner technologically and, and could be a part of where our new Zoom culture is today. So the question I have is, is... What insights, if any, do you have about um, how that kind of technology could impact retail, uh, particularly in one of our largest industries, and that's fashion? It's a very good question. We're seeing, I mean, I actually just recently was looking into um, something somewhat related. Um, it's actually a video games. So this is what I see as being almost the gateway to this type of digital fashion. So companies like Gucci and Louis Vuitton have actually gone to certain video game uh, creators and asked to have avatar skins that are branded with Louis Vuitton and Gucci branding that are owned by Louis Vuitton and Gucci proper um, up on their on their site and allow people to actually dress their avatars in their clothing. And they buy this clothing with real currency, real world currency. So it's really interesting. I think a lot of um, designers and, and businesses are now understanding that, okay, there's different opportunities that exist within the digital world that aren't related to actually shipping people physical, tangible products. Um, and I believe that once we start to have teams dedicated to building and designing these types of products and figuring out the logistics of how you can actually get people these products, 
there's no doubt that as the technology increasingly gets more um, efficient and effective, that it would be entirely possible that we could outfit ourselves in whatever we wanted to as we appear on camera and uh, and simply purchase those products either for rent or for buy online. Uh, User-generated content. Now, as, as more of us are on e-commerce and there, at least in this moment, are more challenges with uh, people frequenting uh, and spending time at uh, physical stores. Um, the opportunity for that user-generated shared content where I'm in a store and I do selfies or I throw on a cool jacket, take a picture, and then put it back on the rack so you didn't make a sale, but uh, that person still shared that through social media, which catches someone else's attention and so forth. We, we don't have as much of that now or it's changing. Where do you think retail going forward will find more places for user-generated content as we're further into the digital world? Hmm. I mean, this goes back really nicely to what we discussed before, which is the the role of the physical store changing. The physical store, in my opinion, will look less like a traditional retail store in the future and look more like an interactive museum. Um, it'll tell those stories. And you won't be taking pictures of even products potentially, but of the experiences that you're having within the store. And I'll give you an example really quickly. Um, another company that I always reference, New York-based company, Camp. Uh, and Camp is Camp Experience Store uh, is a technically it's a toy store, um, but it's actually so much more than that. When you go into the store, it is a you know small-ish storefront. Uh, they have a couple of different locations now, but really the the toy store portion of it only takes up a small footprint of the actual entire footprint of the store. And beyond a trick door that you open, a hidden door, it actually allows you to enter a whole new world of just play. So kids can actually go and they can, um, you know, attend events. They can play on a, on a massive playground. They can have these experiences within the store. And the amount of content that is shared from adults, from everyone alike, is, is insane. And that's really the way that people are going to get the user-generated co content. It's not by putting up a selfie wall and writing a little card that says, take a selfie with the hashtag, you know, store name, whatever. It's about creating experiences that people can't help themselves but to want to share. Um, and I think that's that's the the big difference is understanding who you're, who you're creating this experience for and then just doing really cool stuff that people want to share. It's an interesting segue to what we'll be doing in stores when we're not on lockdown um, and something I've been getting asked. And it's kind of beginning to come out, but it, I don't think it's really we're not going to know what it is until it actually happens. Um, so I was on a call, for instance, and um, someone said, I'm wearing earrings, but I thought my holes might have you know, grown in because I haven't worn them in so long. And it was a public facing call. And I said, I'm wearing a red lip today because, again, I can and I'm not putting a mask over it. Um, and there's this idea that when we do come out of the pandemic, which, as everybody on this call knows, will not be one burst of everyone coming out together. But that it'll be something like the Roaring Twenties, that people will really want to be out, out, whether that's food and beverage, um, out in stores, um, consuming so that they can wear earrings and lipstick again, whether they have a mask on or not. Um, so I'm not sure what what you all are feeling as well on this, because it's it's a hot topic. It's, it's a headline for sure. 
It is. And we've been having our own internal discussions about it, actually. Um, You know, there's no doubt uh, going to be a massive shift in the way that we approach public spaces after this. Um, The other interesting thing to touch on is, you know, during the pandemic, um, you know, the Spanish flu, the, the, the economic downfall didn't exactly happen during the pandemic. The pandemic lasted two years and the economic downfall actually happened following that. Um, so it's entirely possible, too, that we are not even through the worst of it once the financial aid runs out, once stimulus runs out. So we could actually be in for a longer ride. Um, and I do believe that following this, um, personally, I believe it's, it is going to resemble the Roaring Twenties a lot. Um, you already start to see it. I mean, it's particularly in certain age groups, obviously, but New Zealand now is um, open for business and has been relatively COVID-free, I believe entirely COVID-free for months now. And they're having thousand person, thousands of people in spaces for music festivals. Um, so clearly the desire to connect and to be with one another is, is there. Um, it is going, you know, the founder of Retail Profit, my father, Doug Stevens, and I recently had this discussion too, because he's a little bit older. And I think the pandemic has impacted his thinking about this in a different way than it maybe has for me. He has a really interesting theory, actually, that when you're in isolation for this long, it's not dissimilar from Stockholm syndrome. Um, you know, people who are in captivity actually feel unsafe going out after, even if they had an opportunity to do so. So, I don't really think we understand fully the psychological effects that this long period in isolation will have on us. Um, I do think it will be very specific to age groups in terms of the relative comfortable feelings we have with going out and, 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 and you know interacting with other people. I think eventually we'll get there, but as as Doug says, you know it it could be a shock to some uh, retailers and brands in particular that people actually don't want to come out right away at least and have these interactions physically because they do have this feeling of safety and security within their little homes that they've created for themselves throughout this time. So I know that doesn't really exactly answer your question, but I do think it speaks to the variety of, of options that we have for us. Yeah, it's TBD. I also think, you know, I'm one of these people that I thought I was really social and then I kind of enjoyed being a homebody. And I was like, will that stay with me? And also how eager, depending on your age, you are to shake hands, hug, kiss, all those other things. So there may be this period, I think also, and people are talking about this of being It's not socially awkward, but we will learn to socialize again with one another. Um, The other thing that I am hearing um, is that the economy might be very good for some of us and the deepest low for another group of us and that there will be this dichotomy. And that's not really perfect either. That's not kumbaya and everybody running out into the street and spending money. It's a, a different dynamic than that. Um, So I agree. I think it's a lovely idea to think that we'll have some of the Roaring Twenties stuff. It it would be hard pressed to say that it would just got to kind of come upon us um, all at once. Yeah. And listen, I think we'll get there. I think if there's one thing that I want all retailers and brands to understand is that the last year in particular, 2020, marks for a lot of retailers and brands an incredibly stressful and, and horrible time. And it will get better. I think that's the message. You know, even though it might take a while, um, we might we still might be in for a little bit of a ride as it pertains to the economy and, and getting back to what we would consider a semblance of normal pre-pandemic life, but it will happen. And, and when it does, it's going to feel really good. <laughs> 
you know, to tie a bow on that a little bit, uh, if you go on the retail profit website, the first thing, one of the first things you see is a, a statement that says something along the lines of, uh, there's no such thing as being fashionably late for the, for your future or for the future. That's front and center as you come on that. That must be an important message for you guys. So can you unpack that a little bit? Why why that is such an important message for the work that you do, not just with retail profit, but perhaps why you believe brands and retailers need to be hearing that right now? I mean, I think we saw it unfolding before our eyes as soon as the pandemic hit. Um, Companies that had been making these incremental moves for years that had been struggling and caught in this cycle of struggle for a very long time, um, you know, the pandemic was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. On the flip side, we saw companies like Nike, double-digit growth records, you know, year over year, people were astonished by the growth that they experienced. And the truth is, it wasn't because, I mean, in part, yes, Nike was set up very nicely to capitalize on people at home all the time wearing comfy clothes and workout clothes all the time. But they also started the process five years ago. Nike has been in the works to recreate their customer experience, to, um, you know, reframe their physical stores and digital channels. They cut a a ton of retail wholesale partners um, and chose only to invest in those that they felt could really deliver the Nike experience. So the building blocks were, were already being laid years prior to this moment that really acted as the the telltale for which brands would survive and which wouldn't. I think when we look at legacy retailers like department stores, it sort of shows us exactly what being fashionably late for your future would look like uh, and shows the threat of not changing with the times. On that note, I think we'll close the chapter on this part of the conversation and it's going to be time to take a look at Riley less from a retail perspective, more as a human being as we charge headfirst into a round of personal questions right after this. Culture starts at the top. And great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. What is the first time in your life, even as a child, that you remember selling something or making a deal? Mm. Let's, Let's go with making a deal. It could be with parents. It could be for money. It could be... Any anything that you remember making your first deal? That's a really good question. So I'm a theater kid. I was always in theater. So I, I is that right? Yeah, I feel like I've been selling myself to people since the beginning of time. Like I always wanted to be the person that people were, you know, 
paying attention to. And I don't know if that comes across now in my adult life. I hope it's not <laughs> an obnoxious feature now, but you know, it's, it's true. I, I think that I always was aware of, um, and, and I still believe this, you know, everyone is in sales at the end of the day. You're, you're, you are, everyone's selling a concept, selling an idea, selling yourself. The first time I made a deal, I mean, I, I feel like I was just always doing that. I feel like it was always like, as a kid, I was, I was performing whether I knew it or not. So I I would have, you know, I'm making a a little massage studio in my, in my house and my parents would come and I would make them pay me to, to perform my massage where I would have, you know, aromatic things and, and do, do these massages. So I feel like I was always like a little bit of an entrepreneur as a kid and also always, you know, trying to sell myself as a, as a person because of my theater background. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, when we were first talking, I remember you mentioned it might have been off mic how, you know, you were in the retail world even as a child. It's always been a part of your world and therefore part of your thinking and the way you approach things. You can't help it. It's the it's the DNA and texture and structure and context that's been all around you through yeah. your upbringing. How do you think that has just to sort of to piggyback on the first question I just asked, how do you think that's affected even the way you've gone forward into your adulthood other than the performing side or the sales side of you, even how you think about things? Because I'll say, just so you know, you know, I come also as, as an actor, I, I have also as a filmmaker, I can't watch a film. I get fully engrossed and enjoy a film, but if there's anything wrong with that film, I will instantly see it. <laughs> and and it sticks out to me very obviously. I can't help it. Yeah. And so I imagine being an expert in retail, you can't have an, a, an unconscious or subconscious retail experience without having some insight. Mark, I was having conversations with cashiers when I was 11 about customer experience. So if someone was talking, I'm really painting a horrible picture of myself as a kid, just the most obnoxious kid ever. But no, it's true. I I mean, obviously my, my father worked in retail for 25 years prior to starting Retail Profit and we were a retail family. We were hyper tuned into what was happening, um, in the retail world. And it definitely had a huge impact on, on who I was and what I was interested in. I worked in experiential marketing in university as well. And, and that was sort of my gig that I did on the weekends and in evenings to help, you know, pay my bills. And it really was, um, it was such a natural progression for me to get there. I always wanted to be because of, of my experience in recognizing all of the different parts of retail. Oh, that, that merchandising looks so off. They shouldn't have that there. And all this commentary that I just was continuously inundated with as a kid manifested as me being so hyper tuned. And as you said, too, it's like when you're watching a film, I'm the same way when I walk into a retail store, you know, and, and that can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. You know, it takes away from some of the fun of, of being able to do things with your friends who are oblivious to, uh, you know, everything around them or the part of the movie that is horribly wrong. And you're the <laughs> only one that can focus on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, my experience and that really led to being in experiential marketing and and learning that part of it. And then working for a retail tech event startup and having all these interesting conversations with founders. And it just sort of snowballed from there. And it was a really natural progression, but no doubt, you know, growing up and, and in that retail family, it, it totally shaped my future and continues to do so. I hate to be the only one who's um, a gold medal shopper on this show, so I'll put it out there. What was what was the, one of the last things you bought, uh, and uh, online or in a store? So I'm actually embarrassed about this. This is a um, 
I'm like airing my, my dirty laundry right now. So I have developed a really bad TikTok habit through quarantine. And I feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not proud of it, but I'm a sucker now and I'm a sucker for things that I see on TikTok. So I actually, the last thing I purchased was everyone is, is showing, um, videos of this lint roller that they're using on their carpets. And they say, you know, if you're using a vacuum cleaner, it's not cleaning the carpet properly. You've got to get one of these lint rollers. So that's unfortunately the last thing I purchased online. And, uh, I have to say it works wonders. I'm really pleased with it. So it brought me joy. <laughs> I, believe- way, I, I love that. And I don't think we realize, um, you know, as shoppers, it's, it's like an, a mini infomercial, things that I might not have normally bought, although 100%. I'm into cleaning my home. I just bought the electric mop because it has hot water and Ooh. all this other stuff. But anyway, um, so very, very interesting. I think it's um, it's not so telling, but I think it's interesting what people are buying. That is not dirty laundry by <laughs> by any means of uh, in, in the shopping forum. We've been, in, we've been in isolation for too long. I think we can all agree. <laughs> when I'm getting excited, about lint rollers it's been too long so (laughs) all right well that is not a discussion i could have foreseen in this uh in this in our conversation at all that was not a topic i could have foreseen uh but uh let me ask you riley uh we've had a lot of great thoughts and insights that you've shared in this conversation but if you had a parting shot if you could have a leave behind to anyone that is listening and and this is this is your moment on the mountaintop and you want to you want to share one final parting thought what would it be no pressure um no no pressure <laughs> you know what i think i think it's easy to get caught up as 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 we talked about with the with the negativity it seems like every day when you open your your twitter feed or your linkedin feed it's doomsday messaging about what's going to happen and there is still now a lot of uncertainty and i just want to leave everyone with the thought that As I said at the beginning, um, you know, retail does reflect our life. And so while we might not be going back to the same version of retail that we knew pre-pandemic, it will continue. It will continue to thrive. It will continue to change. And that's an exciting thing that we can all be a part of right now. So keep hope, keep pivoting, keep changing, keep being curious, keep asking questions, and ultimately don't be afraid to take that leap. Because it's the people that are are going now forward with confidence that will win every single time. It's the people that are taking risks that will win. It can be overwhelming, of course. It can be intimidating, of course. But really just trying to understand your true purpose as a person, as a brand, and really owning that and, and, and you know putting everything that you have in that every single day. I love that you're not just a source of information and insight, but a shepherd as well. <laughs> That's great. Riley Stevens, thank you so much for joining us. How can people connect with you directly or or obviously with Retail Profit? You can connect with me on Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, I love having conversations with people. So feel free to shoot me a message. My DMs are open on Twitter always. um, And I would love to I would love to speak to every single one listening. Awesome. That's Riley Stevens, R-E-I-L-L-Y. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S for those of you checking out LinkedIn and and, and what is your Instagram handle, by the way? My Instagram handle is Riley, R-E-I-L-L-Y dot retail profit and profit is P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Perfect. 
All right, Riley. Thank you so much for joining us. This was uh, this was a special episode. Uh, a lot of great insights and and uh, and wisdom there. Thank you both so much. That's it for this episode of Retail Is Your Business, everybody. We will see you next week for another great guest, another great episode. I hope you'll join us then. But thanks for joining us this time for Rebecca Fitz. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm Mark Rico. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Audio.